Hi folks, welcome to another Squiggly Film Club. I'm Ben Mitchell, joined by Laura Beth Cowley. Hello. And Steve Henderson. Hello. We're all here. Everyone had a good day? Yes. Yes. Fantastic. It's been birthday fun for me. It's my wife's birthday, but I'm spending an hour and a half away from her to watch <laughs> The Iron Giant. What is You're she doing? Pet. <laughs> she's, she's sat downstairs being very forgiving. <laughs> That's what she's doing. We can do this any other night. Nope. No, there's no, a, there's a, we've, we've, we've set on the birthday. it, the people demand. No, no one's <laughs> demanded, I'm looking at the feed. There's no... No, no, there's plenty of... De- there's, let's, let's... <laughs> Why doesn't she join us? Yeah, does she like uh, the Iron Giant? I don't know, I should know a little bit more about my wife, really, shouldn't I? <laughs> why, why didn't you ask her to, to join us? She's downstairs getting drunk with all the friends uh, okay. on she, Zoom. She's having a Zoom party. Yeah. I like to think that you weren't invited to the party. Like, girls night! Because it's so true. <laughs> okay. Um. We're spending the evening watching The Iron Giant, your first pitch. Did I just give away the, the big reveal of who won the film? Oh, oh yeah. Did we say the I, I don't think it's much of a big reveal. Nah, and also, like, when we suggested it, I was like, oh, yeah, there's no way. <laughs> this isn't going to be The Iron Giant. Well, I think you could put it up against any film. Yeah. I, I, I'm tr- I struggle to think of films besides maybe a few Ghibli films, uh, or, or Ghibli, depending. Um, Ghibli, I think, is be... the official pronunciation. Ghibli. Ghibli, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm um, just trying to decide in my own head what it is. <laughs> Ghibli. <laughs> Ghibli. Giblets. Well, Giblets. Studio Giblets. Um, well, I, I, I can't think of anything, well, even from the studio giblet's back catalogue that that could you know beat the iron giant really um particularly amongst the the squiggly uh readership and listenership uh maybe spirited way maybe howl's moving castle i'd rather watch yeah. this than either of those yeah yeah same same you know and uh Nothing against uh, the Studio Ghibli films. Definitely something we're going to have to do on the film club at one point. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Ben. But, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think I, I think the Iron Giant would uh, would have knocked anyone into into a cocktail. Seventy six percent of the combined votes, uh, and one of the most popular votes we've had in a long time. I mean, the the BFG that it was up against. Did get a lot of votes as well, but you know, in a normal week, it would have done really right. well. But it's up against the Iron Giant. It took a pounding, all things considered. His big, big-eared face, <laughs> indeed, beaten into the dirt. Uh, which is a shame because you know it's a Manchester film, and here I am in Manchester. We'll do it another week. Yeah, we're gonna have to have a. Uh, we're gonna have to figure out what we do with all these losers. Yeah, we'll just add it to the the losers roster. Indeed, uh, but yeah, this week it's the Iron Giant, uh, much loved. We've got lots of tweets from people. I put up um, quite a what I'd say is quite a, a dumb tweet up on Squiggly earlier on, which were "What's your thoughts on the Iron Giant?" And I usually see these tweets come up on people's Twitter accounts, and they always get a lot of interaction. And ours was none the same because it turns out if you ask a simple question on Twitter, you get you get good answers, which is really good. Um, so lots of love for the Iron Giant before we've even pressed play. So uh, Sharon Sorensen, uh, at Sharon Sorensen, says, uh, definitely up there with my top few. The writing is fantastic and the overall look and feel is incredibly evocative of the time and space the story is set. I love it. 
Who else we got here? We got somebody who says uh, uh, Ossia Music O S S I A underscore Music says it's an incredible film. Uh, they did it in capitals, so I've I've shouted it. Uh, so emotional as well. Lovely score by Michael Kamen. Uh, so yeah, we're not going to be listening to much of the music. We'll have it on silence, won't we? But yeah, lots of people commented there. Uh, absolutely loving the film, including. Uh, Resident dinosaur expert Mike Farm, who said better than Superman, kind of giving away um, something in the film later on there. So, yeah, I think people are prepared for this film. I think they're ready. They're ready and raring to go. Smashing. Well, I know that my finger is poised above the play button, quivering in anticipation. So shall we do our countdown? Let's do it. I'm sure this is the bit they're waiting for. <laughs> and a three, three two, two, one. Play. Kaboom. Here we go. WB. Now, is this version that we are sitting down to watch the signature edition, or is it the regular ass edition? Uh, I believe it's the regular ass edition. It's uh, an hour and 22. I think the signature edition has some extra bits and bobbles, perhaps. I see. Yeah, it's one of the, the more covered films uh, on our site. Hmm. Certainly. We've, I think, reviewed it in some way or other, or done coverage on it, probably about three times over the years, because around the time Squiggly was first kind of kicking off, back when it was an actual print magazine, I think there was some coverage on it then, because it had come out on DVD at Everlasting Medium. And uh, then the signature thing uh, came out a few years ago, I think four or five years ago, and we interviewed uh, someone involved in that. We'll probably have punched that up already. Um, and then last year there was a retrospective article uh, about it uh, by recent Squiggly contributor Martin Warren. And uh, plenty of good reading material up on Squiggly. Mm. Let me just see if I can find the... Ken Duncan was the guy we talked to. Why doesn't this guy have eyelids? Because his eyes are wide open and he's watching uh, all the craziness that's happening around him. Big shocked eyes. So uh, on the on the chat room as well, uh, we've got Michael Smith joining us with a booze. He's got his booze on the go. He's got the he's got the uh, film playing. He's joining us along, which is pretty cool. Uh, I don't know if if the beer bottle's going to fill up as the film progresses. I'm sure we'll see. That's great. What are you referring to there? Uh, that Mike Smith is an alcoholic. It's not. It made it sound like he's, he's going to pee in the bottle. Is that oh, what you were trying well, to say? I mean, uh, it, it, I mean, I'm I'm not privy to that information. <laughs> All I can see that is that he's enjoying the film with a hard-earned beer, and that's good. Well, so this film turned twenty years old last year. It's old. It's a classic, <laughs> a modern classic. It's probably you, the closest um, thing to a Disney film we're going to do as well, isn't it? I don't know. We might do a Disney one. Which one? Ah. If there's enough conversation call. for another time. Nightmare for Christmas, <laughs> maybe. Ah, no, that's a di- that's not a Disney film. That was a Disney film when it started making money. That's that's how that became a Disney film. No, it was always a Disney film. Yeah, but they didn't. It was the it was like the the ugly the black sheep. Yeah, the black the sheep Dis- of the family. As is Tim Burton. Mm, indeed. 
So, uh, do you guys remember seeing this film for the first time? Nope. No? No, I don't know when I saw it first. Oh, we're born... Knowing it. <laughs> okay. Steve, how about you? No, I, I don't. I think I, I may even have been at university when I saw it for the first time. I, I certainly didn't see it when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't go to the cinemas much when I was a kid. Uh, I, I think I'm, I once pestered my parents just enough to take me to see the Power Rangers movie, and that put me off cinema for quite a while. Um, but before that, I think I saw um, The Nightmare Before Christmas, which we were talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I didn't get to the cinemas much when I was a kid. Uh, but yeah, I saw this when I was uh, studying animation at university, and obviously, absolutely adore it. But uh, I've got the, I had video as well. Uh, that was that was given to me a few years ago, uh, and it's a super duper special edition. Did you see the the tweet I put up earlier on with this kind of VHS box set? Uh, oh, that's the version you want. It, it certainly is for this for for the year twenty twenty. Uh, VHS is coming back, uh, but yeah, this is a a VHS box set with a little Iron Giant toy and a little making of booklet um, and a. a VHS, which I can't play on anything that I own, which is nice. Um, but yeah, it's got like a little little version of the of the original book, the Ted Hughes book, the uh, the Iron Giant, which I think was called the Iron Man, wasn't it? Um, but yeah, it's been Iron Giantified. But yeah, that's cool. I remember the book. I read the book when I was a kid. Do you have a factoid about the book, Steve? Uh. I bet you do. Oh. Um, do you remember right. the film? Was the film faithful to the book? No, not in the slightest. Oh. <laughs> um, I think in in the actual book, uh, there's a there's a giant monster that take that's the size of Australia that lands on planet Earth and starts uh, destroying the Earth, and the Iron Giant has to uh, has to save the day. Whereas Brad Bird went for something slightly different. I see. So who's this dude with the uh, soul patch? A drifter. <laughs> Can I just clap? Has any of us seen the film? Yeah. <laughs> he's a drifter. He okay. has no other... He doesn't have a name. He doesn't have a... He does eventually, he's a, but he's not Dean yet. Dean the Beatnik. Okay, Dean the Beatnik. When, right. when was the last time you saw it, then? I am watching it for the first time as we speak. What? Really? You've yeah. never seen it? Uh, not all the way through, no. What? This is like my heavy metal, what heavy metal ah. was to you. I figured I would uh, break myself in on a podcast. For of a treat. Yeah? <laughs> nice way to end the day. Well, I read that the book was written by um, Hughes because... To help his children deal with the fact that his wife had committed suicide. Uh, Righty ho. What is it yeah. with all these films and their tragic backstories? <laughs> like well, all the they, trivia we have. Well, and this based is, on, if anything's based on a children's book, most of them are. Most children's books are written out of, like, something to do with death. Yeah. There's also an element to that, to the actual Iron, Iron Giant itself, because. Uh, the film is about a, well, as Brad Bird said, he wanted to make a film about a uh, a gun that doesn't want to kill uh, or doesn't want to be a gun. 
Uh, and that that kind of has a real sort of personal twist to it when you realise that uh, Brad Bird actually lost his sister to gun violence, uh, you know, prior to this film being made. So, you know, his his question, his big pitch was to the executives at, at Warner Brothers was, what if a gun had a soul and chose not to be a gun? So that's where he, he took the, the original uh, uh, Ted Hughes story. It's like the and, um, that slogan of, like, guns don't kill people people kill people mm. yeah yeah, yeah. I it's a film based on that <laughs> that that saying mm. indeed so uh where are we in the film it's uh it's 1957 it's the height of the space race um and you got hogarth hughes who's uh he's just outside there with his flashlight and he's he's investigating uh weird creepy happenings there's a, a tractor there it's got a big bite taken out of it and the tv aerial's gone uh ben what do you think's happening uh i think he's about to go on some kind of adventure that'll open his eyes maybe he'll make a, a friend along the way a big iron friend and um despite their lack of obvious common ground i bet they'll both learn something from the encounter maybe even grow a bit Except for well, the one you. who's thank already a giant. Do you want another bleak factoid? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> it's Laura's bleak corner. <laughs> Tom Hughes, who wrote The Iron Giant, never got to see the film because he died. But he did read he did. the screenplay and enjoyed it. Oh, well. That's been Laura's bleak corner. We'll wow. check in with you again later in the film. <laughs> I'll look up some more death statistics. What's up over here? Um, so yeah, that was my uh, that was my prediction. Well, uh, you've seen the film then. That's <laughs> we do. Thanks everybody. See you next week. Vote for the next film. Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much. I think you've got it. Uh, it looks great. It's you know, I mean, obviously I I haven't when I say I haven't seen it, I've seen you know footage from it and as an animation study, um, mm. it's you know some really really oh sorry. Sorry, little factoid check. It's Ted Hughes, not Tom Hughes. Okay, Continue. Nope. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, that guy's dead, not the other guy. And um, yeah, film looks good, <laughs> I think was my point. Not a good particularly well deep point, but uh, I think when we were talking about um, last week with uh, Belva Rendezvous, having incorporating the sort of cg elements to what i felt rewatching it was not a hundred percent uh degree of success i think the bits that worked worked brilliantly but then some other bits um not so much and uh, as i speak uh a big iron giant, perhaps even the titular iron giant, I dare say, if I may be so bold, has emerged from behind the young scamp and nearly stepped on him. Uh, <laughs> but the boy is okay, and he's approaching the pylon thing and giving it a squeeze. And um, clearly a CG character in terms of the, uh, you know, how the movement looks. Um, but I think overall, maybe by virtue of it being the the... I assume the one character that they apply this to, it just feels like more, there's more cohesion, I think, to the yeah. mix of the CG and the 2D. Um, the giant is fully CG. 
Yeah. But, but he's, also, kind of... he's also alien, isn't he? So he's alien in appearance by the very kind of application of, of CG, even though it's, um, I suppose, early cell-shaded um, CG. Yeah. And he's, he's got quite a complex design. I don't think it's a design that would... Uh, well, it would have cost an absolute fortune uh, back then if you were going to do this uh, by hand, you know. Mm. What's interesting is that there are some scenes, some of the 2D sequences are on ones, but it, it kind of alternates between ones and twos. Like the boy running around, by and large, looks like it's on ones. I think some of the mum looking around the bedroom, it's kind of alternating. I think a lot of that's on twos. Um, and that, I think, kind of contributes to the the difference in a lot of ways, the way that this character, it doesn't stick out, but it does stand out, because mm. his movement is, you know, just a lot more fluid. Yeah. Not especially, like, cliche, robotic, mechanical, it's, from what I've seen so far, um, but, you know, it's certainly, like you say, it, it's, it, it feels a bit alien. But in a way that uh, makes sense. Oh, and the like boys the, just I, killed him. Yeah, I do like the idea that uh, a town's entire electricity supply will have a big comic switch on the side, which is just on and off. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love, you gotta love that. I, for all I know about electricity supplies, that's how it works. I'm not questioning the cartoon logic. Yeah, you, yeah, you've got me there. I don't have any kind of. <laughs> Uh, knowledge on that either. Oh, the giant isn't dead. Now, is he going to be seeking vengeance on the kid who nearly killed him? I hope so. <laughs> oh, he's buggered off. I'm really, I'm really excited that this is your first viewing of the film, Ben. I, uh, I would have. I guarantee that you'd have seen it by now. You know, it's one of those films that came out right at the wrong time in terms of my engagement with animation. You know, there's that sort of point in your adolescence where in your head you're above certain things. Mm. And um, so this came out in, what, 1999? So, yeah, that was peak turning point of, like, leave cartoons behind and everything was about you know other stuff rock music rock and roll <laughs> yeah <laughs> headbagging and <laughs> exactly chasing tail all over the place sticking it to smoking the reefer <laughs> <laughs> just being a, a, a rebel without a cause wow you you made you made nineteen ninety nine sound like nineteen fifty nine. You did it. <laughs> you said comb my hair back and everything. You could go to the cinemas on a shilling and still have changed left for fish and chips on the way home. It was a golden age. It certainly was. So I think I got bored of that stuff by two thousand one. So I went back to cartoons <laughs> quite just, quickly. This but yeah. just fell into the crevice of Ben's not giving a crap about animation era. Just about. Just about. Um, and then, you know, it, it, it would come up, obviously, quite a bit. Um, 
it earned itself its place, I think, in the uh, the hearts and memories of the world. And um, yeah, then you see something when the opportunity to see it comes along, and uh, that's tonight, as it turns out. Mm. I, I dare say I might even watch it with the sound on at some point mm. in the near future. I mean, let's not go nuts, to- but. Come at come at a point as well. Obviously, this is the you know two thousand. It came out in the U um, in the UK the end of nineteen ninety nine in the US. At the same time as Toy Story two uh, was being released, so all these CG features are, are turning up. And this was at the point where the often often quoted kind of argument between two D and three D. Um, was at its peak, I would say. People were saying 2D animation's dead, uh, which people still say, and it really annoys me. Um, I, you guys teach, have taught, work at universities, and every year there's an essay, isn't there? That's 2D versus 3D. Which is the best? Why is 2D dead? Um, and it's just something that continues, it's a myth that continues to kind of perpetuate. But I think this film was released at a point where this kind of myth was given a little bit of uh, a little bit of substance because it was a, a rare 2D f- uh, theatrically released uh, feature film for its time. I feel like if I was ever in the position to have any control over students and the student was like, I'm going to write this essay on how 2D and CG like CG is the is the future. I'd be like, I'm not sure if you're aware, but where have you been for the last twenty years? Yeah. Mm. Like I don't think I'd allow a student to write that essay. Yeah. Like pick something else. People do like to be mired in when a certain sort of turning point happens. It takes a long time for like people collectively to sort of move on from that, and it remains a very like recent concern when they talk about it so the you know the the end of 2D and the beginning of CG that still feels like a contemporary subject of discussion even though you know it's a subject of discussion that's old enough to drink in the states um, <laughs> and you know and that goes and you know people when their shows have controversies or the stories about you know directors or uh, working relationships, studios, and stuff like that. Stuff that happened decades ago, and people talk about it like it happened yesterday. So it doesn't surprise me that it's a thing that students are going to be latching on to. I think it's the kind of thing, like, you now kids talk about, like, the CalArts style being this pervasive ruiner of contemporary production and design, and that's been going on for about five years now. And I do wonder if another 15 years from now, you're still going to get dickheads on Facebook or whatever has replaced Facebook talking about how the CalArt style is ruining things and having no idea what the hell they mean. I think the reason why it ends up staying and why it keeps coming up again and again and again is the fact of the matter is that a huge majority of the human race have absolutely no idea the difference between different types of animation forms and so one dickhead will write an article for The Guardian saying, is this the end of stop motion? And then everyone gets up on arms and go, well, no. But if you actually talk to people that are working in the industry they're like, that really know their stuff, they're like, no one's that fussed. We yeah. know this isn't the case. But it's it's all the kind of pseudo 
people around the edges that sort of like be like but what if it is but what if it is and it's like well, it's not we've done this <laughs> we've done this for 10 years people do like to make uh talking Drama. points out of things you know um that just said and they're never right it's astonishing how like that and whether it's about like personal politics or trends or reasons for films getting cancelled or commission or whatever like there's all this like tea <laughs> but there's never <laughs> it, it's so rare that people actually get the facts right i i used to care a huge amount about whether people knew what one type of animation was or what any but actually now i'm just glad that they know it's not live action that's kind of where my limit is. I'm like, you've set the bar. Yeah. yeah I'm like, can you see that it's not real people? You're mm. doing a bang up job. Like, <laughs> there are genuinely like grown people who mm-hmm. talk about stuff like the new Lion King, um, and talk about how fantastic it is how that animators have gotten so much better. Like they, they'll know it's animation because they've read something that's told them it's animation. Well, that's still better than the ones I think that they train lions. True, but it's the people who don't really understand that it's a different type of animation, and they just think the animators have improved. Mm. You know, Um, I remember having a a chat with a non-immediate family member um, about she had shown her kids 101 Dalmatians, the original, and you know. It was a gesture of finding common ground with me, knowing I was an animator, and she was like, I was really surprised at how bad the animation was compared to today. Like, what the fuck? Like, 101 Dalmatians? That has some of the best animation, like... You try and animate 100 dogs at once. (laughs) (laughs) There's a scene in 101 Dalmatians, it's just Pongo, he's just waking up, and that shot is so well animated. Mm. The thing is, she doesn't know. She just sees a drawing versus a, a CGI like dog, dog that looks like a real dog, and she thinks it's where where the level is, isn't it? It's the same yeah. with like with uh, the whole. Um, it, yeah, it's me. So I'm going to bring up 3D printing. Um, <laughs> the whole 3D printing argument of something like Leica versus Nightmare for Christmas, or something. Both use replacements. Obviously, Leica has far more, and this idea that like that is inherently better. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't like their films, I I love them, but it's, it is not, one is not better than the other, it's just different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's the problem, and that I think is the thing that people can't get, because it's not how, how life works generally, is that life is a pursuit to better, either be more efficient or cost effective or, or better in some way, and that isn't the pursuit of art in general. Mm. Or shouldn't be, in my opinion. It should, you know, you want to it. You want to get to a point where it's not upsetting visually to the audience. Like it doesn't make you want to gag because it's so bad. But you don't, you know. It. This is no better or worse than the newest CGI film. It's yeah. just different. Yeah. I, I might even argue that it is. It is much better, but only in terms of story, you know, because that's where that's where you are. Uh, you know, Ben's mentioned it before. He mentions it in his book. You know, the idea that, and it goes back to what Brad Bird himself says about the fact that animation is not a genre. However, the argument is now that animation is a genre, but through its storytelling. And and as you say, Ben, you know, how many films have got this kind of 
you know, an outsider who goes on this quest and this discovery to right wrongs and all that sort of stuff. And there's a wacky dance number at the end. But yeah, on the surface... I don't remember the wacky dance number bit, but... I'd like to stay. I, I think there should be more of those, if anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, obviously something like Trolls or <laughs> Shrek or... Well, I'm just naming DreamWorks films. But, you know, these kind of films always end with in the same way. And people can look at it and go, yeah, it's that, it's that shit that keeps my kids quiet. That, that's yeah. animation. That's a genre. I'd Whereas, like to state right now that animation isn't a genre. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's it's an it's an art form. It's a medium. It's yeah. it, it's a way it can, of making. It's not. Indeed, yeah. I wouldn't for a split second be sat here saying the same thing. I'm only saying it in in reference to the director. You know, um, Brad Bird, who said, uh, you know, it's not a, it's not a genre. Western's a genre. It's an art form. And he said something. Oh, you know, the next time. I hear somebody say, what's it like working in the animation genre? I'm going to punch that person. That's a quote from the director of this film, which... I An angry, angry man. We can all agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, well, that brings up a good point. Brad Bird directed this. Uh, he's gone on to direct some other fantastic, fantastic films. He did The Incredibles, if I remember right, and Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. Did he do Ratatouille? Yeah. I it's think a quote so. from uh, Young Pinkover, yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, prior to this, if I, I may be wrong, I think he directed Do the Batman. He certainly did. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which um, all animation gold. <laughs> that that's hard to explain, but uh, it might take a while. So let's uh, let's veer away from there. Um, but everybody, if you can, do the Batman. Exactly. <laughs> was the first film Brad Bird worked on um, Fox and the Hound? Yeah. Yeah. So he was part of the original CalArts, uh, talking about the CalArts style. <laughs> CalArts style uh, all over this movie. <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. It's in the glowing fingers. Look at this high-end and characterful animation. <laughs> the fucking CalArts ruins everything. I don't Look understand. at the genuine emotion you're getting from the characters. Understand. What is the CalArts style? That's not a thing well, I'm they say aware it, of, it, really. It's kind of uh, characters that are shaped like beans, basically. That's how it is nowadays. They say that The Amazing World of Gumball, which is not a CalArts product, but you know all the films that are on, or films, short TV series and stuff that's on um, Nickelodeon and Cartoon so Network. So it's CalArts-like shorthand for whatever is popular in culture at the moment, visually, it, trends. Visually, in terms visually. of the homogenization of... Uh, practical oh, solutions like to design. Where it was like the meme of all the jelly bean shaped characters. Indeed, yeah. that's exactly right. it. Yeah. Which is sort of, you know, that in and of itself is kind of a stretch in terms of I've the characters really it applies to. Stood that. I, I mean, we've already had this argument. Well, it, it yeah. goes back to my, my earlier point. People will find, they'll find a, a buzz phrase for something and they'll cling on to it. It was the same with They like, were talking about it with the fucking cereal thing the other day, the toucan. Like, yeah. oh, the toucan's been ruined by the Cal art style. It's cereal. And that wasn't... <laughs> Shut I the wasn't, fuck up. <laughs> I didn't know how precious that bird was. I didn't realise that they were, you know, basically shitting on the grave of, of you know, a national treasure. I didn't realise that that was, that was what was going on. Do you remember the last time they redesigned Snap, Crackle and Pop and it ruined your childhood? <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> they said the same a couple there was a whole thing a couple of years ago about how Disney all the female characters have like pointy chins and the same shaped eyes and 
how they all basically just look exactly the same. And it's like, yes, that's what a style that is. That's what a house style is. Yeah. Like, they that look like they're from a to... Disney movie, for Christ's sake. The only thing I ever tend to notice, like, thematically changing over the years is what weight of line is fashionable. <laughs> okay. Like, at the moment, it's, like, super, super thin. Yeah, okay. And then yeah. a couple of years ago, it was, like, everyone wanted a kind of cartoon modern chunky style. But that's the only thing I sort of noticed trends sort of going back and forth on is like, and like a couple of years ago it was the kind of not quite razor sharp fin like it is now. It was like the Rick and Morty fin, which basically looked like it was drawn with a crayon. Okay. Yeah, sure. it, it depends on the, uh, again, it depends on the technology, doesn't it? Because, you know, when everyone starts using Wacom and they go, oh, well, it's, it reacts to the pressure sensitivity, then everything is going to look like it reacts to the pressure sensitivity. You I know, think it has more to do, like, the most recent one has more to do with the prevalence of Toon Boom and, yeah. like, the way of Toon Boom rigging works and the best way of using that, even though it's possible to obviously have different weights, it's just, it suits certain weights slightly better. This scene, uh, to, this to scene. change the subject <laughs> to, to, the, to the film we're watching... <laughs> This the staging in this is fantastic. It's wonderful. This the, is an amazing the... shot. We should probably talk more about the film. Well, this the, the film is the film is producing our kind of conversation, which I love. You know the 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 the, the director, the actual the time it's set, the everything about it is is leading this conversation. But yeah, you're right. The film that's going on. I mean, we've we've barely spoke about Kent Mansley, this uh, this character that's uh, been in pursuit of. The Iron Giant, or something, he doesn't quite know what's going on uh, since since he turned up. But uh, such brilliant character work, and like you say, Ben, amazing staging. I mean, earlier on when the Iron Giant was eating his car, there was some fantastic character work there, where he's trying to convince this other chap that his car's being eaten, and then the car disappears. It, it, it's it's beautiful. It, you know, it doesn't matter if it's 2D or CG or stop motion. It's just beautiful work. Mm. Do you think there's any links between the film, the era the film's set in and now due to the fact that the film being set in this era, it's all about like the atomic bomb and the fallout of that and then how we're being sort of, how we're treating Corona? Ooh. Mm, topical. Steve? Like propaganda Look, on, what, and that what, what, kind of... What was your question? Well, it wasn't really a question. It was more like, do you think there's any weight in the fact that this is... The the era in which this film is taking place has sort of like parallels with us now because there's like an underlying fear as there was throughout this era with uh, the, you yeah. know, the space race and the atomic bomb and and that's the thing that comes at the end, isn't it? Is that, well, I won't give away the end, but it's a theme in the the final part of the film as well and this kind of like fear mongering in the well, same way that we have go, don't they things, mm. uh, in in terms of themes and and this is this is set in the 50s and it's based on that kind of 1950s ideal that you know aliens are coming and you know american uh american pop culture has this incredible way of of matching a a, a community's kind of fear, and obviously in the 1950s, they were everyone in America was scared of communists. They were scared of aliens, literally aliens coming over. They all look the same. They all sound the same. Uh, they're going to come over and take over. 
Uh, and so you get lots of films about aliens, you know, people coming from space, coming to take over the world. The 1980s, uh, everyone was scared of, of, of AIDS. They were scared of getting diseases. And so you get lots of vampire films. Uh, you know, there's been, I've read a couple of studies which, which link those and I can see the kind of parallels uh, there, really, in, 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 those kind, in that kind of thinking. Uh, I suppose it, what your question, or your, your kind of statement kind of leads on is what's going to happen to the work that we produce from now on as a result of Corona? Is it going to be, what, what, what are we going to do with that? How, how are we going to adapt that into our kind of work? I wonder if it's harder for us to... Because this obviously was a film that was made in the 90s that reflected on the themes of the 1950s, probably just more as a device than anything else. But I wonder wonder if we're able to respond to things like this as immediately as, say, someone that's live action. Because there's already shows that are coming out about COVID that I've seen advertising that aren't necessarily about COVID, but it, you can, it's so blatantly influenced by the, the idea of being locked in a house and not being able to leave for whatever reason. Yeah. And I wonder how, if animation is going to be able to respond in that way because just because of how animation works and the fact that there is a lengthier process, does it mean that in like three to five years time, we're just going to have a slate of films that are all about isolation <laughs> Oh, of course. I mean, we're all scared of it now. We all, we're all feeling uncertain and it's on the top of everyone's minds. And so that's going to be exploited, definitely. Or will it be the opposite and where animation is often the, um, the escapist way of making films? We'll do lots of films about nothing to do with that in order to not reflect on that because it's going to be so, there's going to be so much of it in live action. Well, animation's doing well, isn't it, at the moment? Because it can do exactly what you've just said. It's it's really... You can go anywhere and do anything in animation. So where everyone has to, in live action, has to create their own kind of... I've seen, you know, comedies like Staffelette's Flats. They've done their kind of Zoom version of the show. Uh, I think Parks and Recs did the same thing as well. And so... You know, live action is trying its best, but animation can can do anything because people are working from home, as as you guys well know. Um, so, yeah, I suppose animation's there to do whatever, uh, dependent on story. But I think we're going to see a lot more in our pop culture and in stories of of the coronavirus and whether or not animation's choose cho- chosen as a as a kind of vehicle for that. I suppose we'll see. You were, you were a little delighted when um, the new Rick and Morty crowbarred in a quarantine reference. At yeah, the what end was of... the reference? I forget now. I forget, but I remember you were quite impressed that they managed to turn that around pretty yeah. quickly for an animated show. It was like, was it the end-end gag? You know, the thing that yeah, comes like the, up. The sort of, yeah, yeah. I, I liked that. I was like, oh, well done. <laughs> I think it was just, a, just sort of like a, a dialogue gag. You can kind of, you know, crowbar it in after... Most of the labor's done, but um, I, I quite like that because it 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 flips the idea of animation takes a long time on yeah. its head, which I think is similarly with this idea of like one type of animation being better than another mm. is something that comes up time and time again. Is like oh yeah, but animation's not very responsive. You can't, you know, it takes ages. So you know they can't be current, which things like newsoids and stuff kind of goes against. But 
being able to do it in a show that people really, really engage with and love and also is known for taking for fucking ever <laughs> to get going, I thought was quite a bit like... I, I like Rick and Morty because I feel like often they're putting like two fingers up to people that don't really know animation. Like It feels like an animator's an- show. Mm-hmm. So it kind of rewards you for knowing the process a bit. I suppose as well, if if the stuff's already rigged and there's already backgrounds in place and it's just dialogue, uh, mm. then that's that could be quite easy to do because uh, you know the the main characters are voiced by the the executive producer who's there in the office every day, so might as well uh, just do a quick coronavirus gag yeah. and uh, get it animated. I, mean, I think that, that that sort of production template is something that South Park always had in its pocket because it was such a quick turnaround production mm. and same deal. The voices were also the creators, so they're there to you know change things. I mean, they've been able to change entire stories almost like really quickly. And I think that yeah. what we're at now in terms of two D production and series production, and I'm sure this would extend to features as well. Um, is that when it's really close to the wire, now the technology and the software is at a place where you can get these high-end animations um, and make those kind of changes really quickly. Um, you know, not lightning fast, but certainly quicker than if you had to send it back to, you know, the country that the in-betweening was being outsourced to and all that. Um, you know, those days are it's certainly a simpler time as far as how streamlined everything is. Mm. Um Two weird, like, things I've just retrospectively realised about this film that I don't understand. A, why does the robot eat metal in order to, like, not be hungry? Wouldn't he just need electricity or gas? Because he's made of metal. Well, you're made of, uh, you know, carbon-based things. Yeah, but that's why I eat meat and and carbon-based things, because that's how natural things work but metal things don't eat metal things in order to ah, exist but, well uh, clearly they do and secondly <laughs> why is a robot from space why aren't wouldn't aliens be organic as well because who made the robot maybe the robot made the aliens you're not thought about or that. is the robot yeah. just a weapon <laughs> of aliens are there aliens in this film are there aliens inside the robot there's is a it giant like... robot, Benny. You're not satisfied. <laughs> oh, is there a little alien working the controls? Is, is that like going to be the reveal? Is it like Men in Black when his, his head's going <laughs> to come off and it's just like this tiny little pooper. Face, <laughs> or, face comes off and he's like, ah, you got me. Or it's like a Trojan horse full of aliens. Ah, this is our plan all along. Just two like, things I've noticed. Yeah. <laughs> or like we saw last week with the guys on top of each other. It's just loads of kids stacked up on top of each other. This robot's just full of Russians. (laughs) (laughs) It's all a Russian uh, uh, sabotage, I see. Ginger ginger, uh, political man is right all along. It's an illegal alien. (laughs) It's the commies. Kent Mansley. (laughs) Oh, the Iron Giant looks pissed. The beatnik is the best character in this. Yeah. Hello. Tussling with the... So why is the, the giant so mad at the beatnik? Because he thinks he's Apart from the his facial hair. Oh, I see. He says the boy's protector. Yes. 
But is he is he not actually attacking the boy? No, he's freaking out because there's a fifty thousand foot robot in his back garden. Right on. Then they're all having a cup of tea and getting on now. I find his eyebrows very troubling. I feel like he'd have bigger eyebrows. Okay. And his hair's brown now. What's he eating now? Is that what's he eating? Yeah. What the robot? Yeah. A cow? I don't know. <laughs> I thought maybe he was eating a bit of bracken. Probably. I do. Well, you were saying before he eats metal exclusively. Oh, was he eating a tree? I'm not sure. I, I it was far away. We're not I, we're just, we're, maybe not I just feel like we haven't examined the robot's diet enough, and now that that conversation <laughs> has started. And then I would have a problem if he was eating petrol because how are they getting petrol, an organic, man-found, earth-bound product in space? Which is not a problem because he's not. You're destroying this masterpiece, Laura. You really are. You're, <laughs> with, you're really, you're really with reason. scuppering it. <laughs> oh, why didn't we watch the BFG? There's far less questions. <laughs> oh, no, I have questions. Yeah, what is a schnozcumber? Um, I always wanted one. I didn't. It looked yeah, disgusting. I, I love pickles. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it that they were meant to taste like? Was it Were they meant to taste just like really sour or were they meant to taste like vomit? Over you, Ben. Has the BFG just sabotaged this film's commentary? <laughs> <laughs> Out of resentment for being the losing film. It's just bled its way into our conversation. So where we are with the film now, um, Kent Mansley, the uh, the FBI agent, has wormed his way into the uh, Hughes household. Uh, he's taken up a position as a lodger to find out more uh, about this, uh, the Iron Giant. Uh, lodgers, you can't trust them. More mm. factoids, Steve. Any more factoids? Uh, yeah. Go. So, so... Uh, I was saying there, Brad Bird was one of the original Cal Arts. Uh, he was in the same class as uh, John Musker, who co-directed Little Mermaid, and John Lasseter, who we won't talk about. Um, <laughs> That's mental. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, the Don't you always of- think, like, when you hear about people that were in, like, in the same year group as each other, and they're, like, people who are literally running, like, the predominant studios, do you not ever think, what about, like, Frank and Jenny, who were also in that year, who like went and became like I don't know, bin men. <laughs> Afterwards, the world's angriest bin men couple. <laughs> like, just I'm, I'm always fascinated by the people who went to school with the other people. Yeah, like the famous people, and like what that must be like. Because no one in my year group of anything did anything particularly. You know, they've done well, but not like anything. Like, oh my god. <laughs> You sort of see that a bit in, from our perspective in sort of like the British graduation classes of various eras of animation. And I think knowing more British animation stalwarts in person as we do um, than, say, we would American people, um, we'll more likely meet someone who's like, oh, yeah, no, I went to school with such and such. And I just like, oh. You're not <laughs> That's sort of that's what that's the story that you kind of get out of having gone to school with them, but that's the only th- thing that's kind of ascribed to you. 
whereas they have you know the legacy of films that they've done and this i think it seemed generally resentful i think um yeah but if you went to school with brad bird and john lasseter and you weren't brad bird or john lasseter it might sting a bit yeah yeah. There's, a, there's a few people from that class that, that you know did well. Obviously, uh, John Musker. There's Nancy Beeman as well. You know, so there's animators mm. there that kind of. That, uh, I've not got the full list of that uh, that year group. You know, GDPR and everything. But um, yeah, it's uh, it certainly was a kind of turning point when that kind of Cal Arts class turned up. Do we know anyone who graduated in Nick Park's year from the NFTS? Nope. <laughs> That's a good I, question. I imagine a couple of them are stewing a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that they were all making CGI films, being like, Nick's playing around with plasticine. That's so in the past, man. CGI's <laughs> the future. <laughs> and they all just made terrible, terrible films. Animation factoid about the Iron Giant. According to an article I'm reading on a website called squiggly.com. How do you uh, spell that? Uh, who knows? <laughs> uh, stupidly. <laughs> Whatever you do, don't sound it out. Uh, the Iron Giant began as a pet project for musician Pete Townsend. Is that a real thing? Well, this version, I know he's involved in it because he, I think he'd be, Pete Townsend was trying to put together like a rock opera that based on it. And I think Brad Bird turned up and said, I want to do an Iron Giant. And so they kind of... <laughs> Fuck off. That's what he said. <laughs> on your a, bike. Then they had fisty cuffs. <laughs> we'll Can't settle mark. this like they do in the old country. <laughs> I like the and idea. And Brad Bird stomped the shit out of Pete I Townsend. really wish more things in animation were fraught out by like proper fights, but like slap fights. It would be a slap fight, let's be honest. Yeah, my film. Yeah. <laughs> Get away. Nah, we're all too uh, nice. <laughs> we... No, you have it. No, you have it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the, the film that... Obviously, this is quite a family-friendly film, as in... Anyone in the family can watch it. Not that it's particularly aimed towards a particular age group, but the the film itself was a second choice, I think, for for Brad Bird because he wanted to make a film called Ray Gun, which was a two D animated feature, which was a, a sci fi film noir uh, kind of genre. Was it uh, about based... a ray gun that didn't want to be a ray gun? <laughs> Uh, it was it was a kind of uh, based on pulp detective novels of the 1930s, ah. and it was supposed to be like an animated version of uh, like Buck Rogers that type of thing. Uh, but the Turner executives did not like it uh, because they thought this film was the the the, the film that he was making the uh, script or whatever uh, was too violent, even though Brad Bird was saying yes, there's going to be violence. It's going to be PG-13. Um, but yeah, having a detective and murders and stuff scared the executives from uh, from allowing him to make a kind of adult animated film. Hmm. Well, yeah. Then they gave him. Then they said, um, "Yeah, you, you can make the Iron Giant instead." And he obviously jumped at the chance. Yeah. Was that factoidy enough? Is that all right? 
I enjoyed that factoid. Oh, good. I'd like to see Ray Gun. That'd be a. Well, it looks like a pretty good, uh, pretty good feature. There's a couple of bits and pieces on it. I think Mental Floss have an article on it, uh, so you can have a little look at that if you want. Mm-hmm. So what's happening in the film now? Bring us up to speed. Me, Laura. Over to you, Laura. Are you just engrossed? They're having a swimming. They're having a swimming. <laughs> They're having a swimming tie. <laughs> it's all going swimmingly. Oh, oh, it's all going to go. This always reminds me of like, every time I can't not see water in animation and be like, because I remember having a lecture when I was on my MA saying like, one of the main things you should never have in an animated film is water because it's the hardest thing to do and pretty much almost every animated film will have a huge vast amount of water in it well if you're paying if you're doing feature you're paying for a uh, an effects animator you're going to get them to do water yeah <laughs> or like a big wet explosion <laughs> quick smart This looks like the scene in um, Chainsaw Massacre. No? I'm trying to remember which bit you mean. The very beginning when they're in a dark room. <laughs> I don't remember that. I remember the... Um, well, I just remember them being in a, in a so van. You can see. <laughs> and then you'll get to the bit and go, right, that's enough. <laughs> I'm going to just Google it and find it now. Jujule it. Jujule it. <laughs> so in terms of kind of story and, and character development, coming up to a, a very kind of... quite a, The main bit, I would say, in terms of the giant's personality and, and what he learns, we're, we're kind of... The Iron Giant meets Bambi here. Ah... Now, this is a, a tender moment, I assume. He's not going to squish it. No, he's not going to no. squish it. Lenny. Oh, um, <laughs> Bambi's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a, a sound of gun gunfire. Oh, they're the, the real monsters. Oh, they killed the deer. Yeah. That that giant is a fucking jinx. It sent that deer <laughs> off gamboling through the glade to an early death. He handed that deer to those hunters on a platter. This giant is a monster and he feels it. Well, the kids annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, this is the beginning bit of Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> okay, we're now watching uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre simultaneously. Oh, it's different. Oh. Are you watching the remake? Ugh, yeah. Boo. What, how old were you when you first saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Let's get some memories going. 29. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually that's going to start happening. We're just going to have a Russian doll thing of film podcasts within <laughs> film podcasts. <laughs> I think this is the thing. Let's not do the public vote to 
films pitted against each other. Let's just watch two films simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should do a thing where we only we once we find another reference that we can bring another film in, we then stop watching that film and move to the next film and see how long we get like, to like, then go back round to the original film. Like a shuffle. Shuffle <laughs> mode with films. It's like a weird, boring quiz that only we'd enjoy. That's the way to do it. <laughs> People trying to watch along at home, they need to have so much prep work. We're like, we're kind of out trivia each other. I almost managed to bring it back around to Nightmare Before Christmas earlier, and then I was like, no. Go on, I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can get a Nightmare Before. Here's my challenge to you, Laura. So what? just before before this is over, I want another Nightmare Before Christmas fact. Well, it's not a fact about that, but it's just a way of linking it back. That uh, if, if Brad Bird's first animated feature was fantastic mr fox that was uh, do the... you mean the fox and the hound oh yes sorry yes uh that was the first film tim burton worked on at disney as well ah and oh. what films did tim burton produce <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the name over christmas Way! Ah. i think he only worked on like two disney like proper disney films before he just was like, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, it's not what he's known for. He worked on uh, Fox and Hound and The Black Cauldron. And that's it. Yeah. And then Vincent and then Nightmare Before Christmas. And then he went away and then came back and made Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas was like a 10 years on from, you know, the Disney stuff at least. Mm, Yeah, he went away and made like Pee Wee and and everything else. Why are we talking about this? Tim Burton, what a Sorry. storied career. <laughs> I he, just an all-around great director up to mid-late 90s. Probably around the time this film came out. He had some things <laughs> after. What was it Mars Attacks in the area? Or was that number one? Like 96, was it? Mars Attacks, a little bit earlier. Yeah. But yeah, um, Brad Bird uh, steering it Swiftly back to the Iron Giant, uh, he worked on the same two films. Uh, he worked on the Fox and the Hounds and the Black Cauldron, but then he was fired by Disney for rocking the boats. In his own words, oh dear, I wonder wow. what that means. What did he do? Because Tim Burton pulled out his own teeth. So, like, <laughs> what did he do that was so spectacular? And Tim I Burton, I, I don't think, got fired. What body part did Brad Bird remove? Whip out. <laughs> I think you're gonna to have to explain the uh, the Tim Burton pulling his own teeth. I don't. I think he, a dental professional pulled his teeth out, Laura. I know it's one of those urban legends, like the <laughs> urban legend. In the same way that like he was always meant to be like a loner, and then there are other f- pictures of him like on the wrestling team. So you're like, were you a loner or were you on the wrestling team? Make up your yeah. mind. <laughs> um, but like, I was it- a lonely wrestler. <laughs> Touching that other kind men. of torment is where you get uh, Edward Scissorhands from. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I think that it was either that he used to spend his time in his cupboard, like, yeah. in, like, his drawing, like, in one of, the, like, the wardrobes in his office, and he was meant to have pulled out his tooth in there, but uh, you're right, he he had them pulled out professionally, but he did apparently just go around like, going, like, pissing blood out of his mouth and being like, <laughs> and people were like, you're weird. You know we made Bambi here. 
I just can't imagine anyone being kind of bizarre in in America, even though there are obviously tons of very strange people that have come from America. They seem to just react really aggressively to anything remotely strange. Do you mean uh, uh, in anything that defies Americana as a, mm. as a kind of concept? Yeah. But having not been growing up in America, maybe that's just the perception we get from films. Hmm. Mostly Tim Burton films. <laughs> I love this scene. This is a great scene. It's it's a classic in terms of uh, escape. And we're all on the edge of our seats. So we've not mentioned the voice of the Iron Giant yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you we did before this podcast I didn't know started. this, so do you want to... So yeah, uh, Vin Diesel That's is the voice so of weird. the Iron Giant. That's so weird. I just assumed it was just some rant, like anyone else who was already in the cast. <laughs> so at this point, was Vin Diesel like already well known? I think he was uh, in film school. Uh, or, or he, he was a he was a di- known as a director before uh, an actor, wasn't he? I was think, he? Um, yeah. What did Vin Diesel direct? Uh, a few things, but not nothing that nothing that anyone would uh, would have uh, on their uh, on their shelf. But yeah, he was a uh, he was a director. Um, huh. Then he was noticed by Steven Spielberg and put in Saving Private Ryan, and then. Obviously, he made his way over to the Iron Giant, and now That's he's so Groot. <laughs> Is he? Why don't I? Yeah. I don't know anything about Vin Diesel. I don't know why I'm surprised. Like my encyclopedic knowledge of Vin Diesel is waning. <laughs> this character is such an odd but very satisfying design. Which character? Uh, the detective. Ah, right. Yes. Like he's he's like Earthworm Jim. With this weird little <laughs> hair flop. Is he not? De- is he not designed to be like Brad Bird? Because um, he looks. I, I yeah. think in the Incredibles, both Mister Incredible and Syndrome, uh, Syndrome particularly is supposed to look like an, an act like Brad Bird. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I wouldn't have. I, mean, I can see a, a similarity between the characters, like between that character and this one. Hmm. Lanky and ginger, mainly. <laughs> Syndrome's not that lanky though. He's like quite short, isn't he? No, I guess it's the hair is kind of like quaffed up, in a similar way. Couple more uh, uh, notes of appreciation for the film on the old Twitter feed. Um, did we read out James Walsh's? Oh, no, we didn't. That was a good one as well. I should have read it out. Story-wise, I think Iron Giant's pretty much perfect. It doesn't waste a second, but it never feels rushed. The themes are crystal clear. Characters are lovable and flawed. Every scene moves the story forward, and it all builds to a ridiculously powerful and poignant end. Thank you, James. I lost my voice there for a second at the end, but... uh, Choked up emotionally at the... uh... At the emotional end. Yeah. Uh, Louis Jones, local animator. Amazing. Hairs on the back of your neck, amazing. Right on. 
uh, Matthew Reese, one of the best animated films, hands down. Uh, uh, and Matty Davis, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's good. <laughs> it's a good film. So brimming with enthusiasm over on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, Matty then goes on to talk about how he had it on the VHS tape with uh, Pokemon, the first movie, which uh, we should do one week, Ben. Would you like to do Pokemon one week? I think that's my first official veto. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. I mean, if we watch one of the new Pokemon movies, yeah, sure. Well, indeed. De- I mean, Detective Pikachu looked like a, a rib tickler. I grew up on Pokemon, and even I couldn't watch the Pokemon movies. Like, they were just... Yeah. it was It's too much. <laughs> it's too much of that. Oh, no, Pikachu, let's do the thing and put the thing in the thing. It, it gets a bit too much. Yeah. Like, have you, have you ever watched an episode of Pokemon? It's like you're being yelled at by a toddler for, like, half an hour. There is a lot of yelling. Yeah, everyone yells everything. Yeah. You just want to be like, Ash, indoor voice. Significant pot plot plot pot point. Mm. Those beatniks. Uh, Plot point uh, going on here. We're seeing the the giant's response to to weapons. Um, He loves them. He does. He can't. He just shot at them with lasers. He's like, weapons are awesome. <laughs> Did I read that do. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, you got it. Spot on, mate. And he has a big S on his chest. Superman. S for Superman. Ah. Now, um, what's the significance of that? Does he think he's Superman, or...? Well, Hogarth was showing him comics earlier on. He was giving him I kind see. of a tour around his the things that Hogarth likes. And he's learning, but he's learning the hard way now. Oh, he's he's scampering away. He's heard something he doesn't want to hear, it looks like. And it's a sad moment because it's snowing. Somehow. I mean, why so would you bother running seven? after it? Why would you bother running after it? Like, one of his <laughs> steps is like half a mile. You just watch him go away and go, right, yeah, I get it. Oh. He's a lacrimose iron giant. That's a stunning shot, isn't it? That distant shot. Yeah. Oh, he's ditched his big S. He's like, I'm no Superman for me. S for screw you guys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got him. Take that. If only there was a Superman at this point. Mm. This classic setup, isn't it? Of uh, kind of needing a hero. Ah, shit, there he is. Ah, just in the nick of time. Now, let's get, let's get, let's look at the physics here. Okay. (laughs) Those kids fell onto cast iron from the same height that they would have fallen onto cement. Is it really going to be a softer landing? <laughs> um, that's a very good point. I've just installed a mattress onto my hand. <laughs> yeah, this giant doesn't think before he acts. No. 
And then he just, he, they're on his hand, he just starts clapping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Credits. <laughs> Everyone just screaming in horror. Bits of child just flying into the audience. The Does lesson sort of... is, fear what's different. He's <laughs> <laughs> there wiping them on his sort of where his jeans would be. <laughs> like... Sorry, guys. <laughs> Ew. Is uh, the mum and Soul Patch going to get together? Yeah, just... maybe. Kind of. I'm not sure. I don't really remember. Oh, are the Iron Giants under attack. Did they not just see him very dangerously saving those people's lives? I also like the idea that a bullet would affect this thing in any way. <laughs> yeah, well, that water might affect it. You rust it or whatever, but it'd take a while. Now, why do the government want to want to bring it down? Is it they the think usual it's Soviet? Ah, I see, Ruskies mm. up to their tricks. Now, great escape. Okay, so you were you were pondering about the sort of robots and aliens element and stuff like that. Do we actually know what it is, like where it's from? No, it's it, no. it's. I think it is meant to be from space. Oh, it is right, from space, like, yeah. Well, but we don't go. know what planet or... Like, no, no, we don't. You, do, you don't kind of... You don't need to know. But it hasn't I think been made a... by someone on Earth. Right. So it's not like a... There's, a thing, there's a thing in modern AI filmmaking, thing. though, isn't there? Sorry. It's like... It's the idea that it's a living creature that happens to be made of iron. It's not like it's a robot with, like, artificial intelligence. No, it's definitely meant to be a robot. It's not like... It's not a living thing. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, it it's it is well, it's, it's a bit like a um, bicentennial man. Bicentennial man. Yeah, like it's learnt to be people. So the question does remain: who uh, who built? You don't the know. Man. Yeah. Well, there you go. You... Sequel. Yeah, yeah. That time, twenty-one years on. Well, I would assume that it that because of the whole links to it being a gun and what if a gun had emotion, it's meant it's a weapon of some description that's been made by aliens. Yeah, yeah, that's, there is that. Because of that knock on its head, you can see in that shot, it's defunct. Right. Okay. But he's the child is trying to, and that's the whole premise of the thing: is the child is trying to, like, say to it, don't. You know, you have a choice. You don't have to be a weapon. Mm. And so it's about morality. The shots here mirror the first Iron Man film yes. <laughs> when he's with the, with the with the pilots and stuff. Uh, obviously done here first. You know, uh, a decade prior. But um, yeah, you I know think what you say, Gondor. You know what we should have put this up against is the brave little toaster. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's much more thematically mm. in line. I just like the idea of a kid yelling at a saying, You can be what you want! <laughs> you can be a blender if you want! Nope. You can pretty much just cook bread. So, yeah. this, this Iron Giant that's arrived on Earth is not in weapons mode, but he is indicative of the kind of weapon technology some alien race out there has. Yeah. And has contemplated leveling against the planet Earth. Yeah. 
So why are the government in the wrong by wanting to bring it down? Because the way they end up going about it is too much. You'll see. Yeah. Okay. He just shot one of their tanks out. Because they killed. They, he thinks they killed Hogarth. It, they've had a good twenty minutes braying him. You know, don't. <laughs> it's just, Here it's we not, go. It's not, I've gone full gun mode. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. He's getting the job done now. Screw you guys. So, but here's the thing: if the lesson is it's okay to kill things if they've hurt something you like, is that a much better message? It's not about the hurting; it's about, it's about morality. I see. Yeah. So he's choosing to blast him, but he's like, well, "I'm my own iron giant now. I'm not going to do what the aliens tell me to do. I'm going to ki- murder see. these people on my own cognition." I think it's got a lot to do with the log- like a kind of very. <laughs> no, sorry. Oh, look at this guy. That's just like, oh my god. Um, it's got to do a lot with that kind of weird illogical thing that we can't quite grasp in our own country about like America and and gun crime, mm-hmm. and how they're like this idea that like, no, it's my it's my God given right to have a gun and I can use it as you know if I think I'm under threat. <laughs> but this idea that yeah, yes, but if none of you had guns, you wouldn't be under threat. So yeah. why why do you want the gun so I'm not being shot at by someone who has a gun who wouldn't have a gun if listen, we didn't allow guns? Laura, listen, 300 years ago, some old-timey guys in wigs were very vague about, <laughs> about some things that are now very specific. So don't go trespassing on people's freedoms or whatever. Yeah, that, uh, that sort of ties back into the thing I was saying. Like, we hold on to misinformation and clutch <laughs> it to our bosom, and that's going back. So, like, that's like a whole other realm than the CalArts thing. <laughs> but the uh, the what is it? The Second Amendment. Um, I don't know which amendment is. Whichever one it is, the way people like emblazon that as a justification for their nonsense fucking rhetoric. I've always understood, found the logic of something being old as the reason why it's like held fast. Like people were so much smarter in the olden days. <laughs> it's, like, it's like with like same with like things to like the Bible. Like we have to hate gay people because the Bible says so, and it's like yeah, but it also says a lot of other weird shit that we don't do because it would be frowned upon in, in normal society. Yeah, but that weird shit doesn't line up with my the hate in my heart, <laughs> specifically. So I'm going to ignore the other weird bits. But the, the stuff that serves my cause um, is sacrosanct. And the same with guns and giant alien robots. I have to say, the Iron Giant in war mode is pretty badass. Mm-hmm. I like his glowing... You know. Savor it for now, because uh, he's about to come to a point where he realizes that too, you know, too much badass is is a bad thing. Got to go back to being the friendly Iron Giant. We've got I mean... a, a message on the a message on the chat room. Uh, Mike Smith saying that backgrounds to die for and a story to cry for. Mm. That's quite nice. He's a poet, and he's not necessarily aware of it. <laughs> I mean, you might know this, but and it would have been a massive misstep and kind of missing the point of the film, but is there a version, like, is there a toy version of the robot where it turns into a Transformer version of the badass version of it where it starts killing people? 
I think they, were, they released a collectible a few years ago where you could change the arms and legs and stuff and make the... Uh, but it was one of those like really expensive toys like that you wouldn't let kids anywhere near. You know, it was one of those for, for the shelf. Yeah. For, uh, you know. So this is an important thing to sort of point out to you, Ben. This, the gingerhead guy has just said, nuke the robot. And so they've released a nuke on this tiny town in America. To kill the robot that is currently not dangerous. And, uh, and about 50 feet away from him. Yeah. So now he's going to try and run, drive away from a nuke. And then the giant's gone, if we're all dying, you're dying with us. Because it's your bloody fault. So now the Iron Giant has to make a decision. This is the poignant part of the film. The Iron Giant needs, just needs to grab the ginger guy and run off with him. Yeah, but a, he won't kill. He's moral. Yeah, but he won't not kill him, but just like, as long as he's got the ginger guy on him, the ginger guy's well, not going to want him now. to be nuked. Oh. The nuke's I'll on its way. Throw, throw the ginger guy at the nuke. He's He's got that power. He's got that skill set. He's No, he's, like all women and all people of intelligence know, the best vengeance is to make him live with his shitty decision. come the feels phone home (laughs) I'll be right here (laughs) basically saying that (laughs) that's another another one of those things I was saying earlier on when you were asking where the giant's (laughs) from Ben I think that's a kind of a the thing with modern filmmaking is they tell you absolutely everything. And there's something quite beautiful about not knowing everything in a million sequels. Yeah. You know, where did the giant come from? Well, you don't need to know, because all we need to know is that he affects a story. And we just need to enjoy that story. And I think there's something quite beautiful about that. Do you know what's going on? Uh, is he sacrificing himself? Yes. Superman. I like the idea that because we can't hear the uh, narration, the bit where he's going like this, like wagging his fingers, like pull it more than twice, and you're playing with yourself. That's <laughs> what I said in my brain because I can't remember what it is that he's saying. What's that from? What? Well, just common knowledge, isn't it? Is that just something you like? Isn't that projected thing? onto the film? Oh yeah, it's not in the film. <laughs> I couldn't remember what the wagging of the finger meant. So I was like, "It's like you stay true to yourself, and shake it more than twice, and you're playing with yourself, <laughs> like just giving some uh, good advice." Well, there you go. I mean, there are all sorts of lessons we can learn from this film. Oh, he's become a star. Well, he's become a big pile of molten metal. It's just as beautiful. And then they made a sculpture. From metal, which is a bit like making a sculpture out of people out of meat. You're back on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. It's a bit Ed Guinea. Just going to say. I, th- I thought it was his corpse for a minute. <laughs> that would be so grim. We found him! <laughs> Gather around, everyone. Uh, there you go. You asked to get together. Is, uh, 
daddy now. Yeah. It was, it's, it's a touching um, scenario. When I have to wonder, like, you know, this thing happens to you when you're a kid this age. This film came out 20 years ago. Let's imagine this kid, like, you know, 20 years on. Every once in a while you think to yourself, remember when there was that big iron giant I used to hang around with? What the fuck was that about? <laughs> so we never just, got any answers about that. So he just got given um, the, one of the bolts from the robot's ear like they found it. Uh-huh. So it's important to watch now. Oh, I see. There, see? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, where, where, where'd it go? It's on the move. Beep, 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 beep. Beep, 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 beep. Give me some sound effects. It's tapping Ooh. on the window because it wants to be free. Uh, and away it goes. Nice rolling. Mm. Well, it's, it's wrong angled. It's a cone. <laughs> it's doing pretty that's, well. That's pretty big grass, isn't it? <laughs> the bolt yes. was huge. I think, I think there must have been a slight. Yeah. I hope it's corn. Like uh, batteries not included. Yes. So, uh, he's uh, alive. What? In some way. Oh, he's all in bits. He's like Sally from The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> oh, God. And now he's just radioactive. <laughs> oh, my God. So radioactive. <laughs> so there you go. First time watching The Iron Giant, Ben. What were your thoughts? Or sort of just seeing it move rather than listening to it and getting well, full it's, emotion. It's second film in a row that we've watched that's made me feel, you know, a little bit inadequate as far as my own animation ability. Which, uh, you know, suggests that they're doing these films right. Um, yeah, no very impressive. So there you go, Pete Townsend. Oh, he made it and got an exec producer credit. He wasn't completely mm. kicked off it then. Fair play to him. Well, um, any closing remarks, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, we have to pick a new film. We do. Oh, boy. I, I ran out. Where's the massive spreadsheet? Shall we try and avoid 2D films? Yes, please. We've done a few for a while, so uh, in terms of stop-motion films... Or CG... Or CG? Okay, let's look at this list. CG. Uh, Monsters, Inc.'s on this list. That's the first. Oh, no, Ratatouille's on there, but I'll be two Brad Birds in a row. Um, CG. CG. <laughs> Toy Story. All the uh, all the Pixars are there. Um, mm. what, a, what a good non-Pixar CG films. Sing? Rango? No. <laughs> I was just reading it out. I wasn't saying it. <laughs> <laughs> um. hmm. Well, you guys uh, have a, a bit of a conflab about that. I'll, uh, I'll direct our listening audience to some of our other Iron Giant and related coverage over on yeah. squiggly.com. 
uh, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we've been writing about this film a fair bit uh, since we kicked off. So, uh, yeah, way back in the day, there was like a review of the DVD. I'm not entirely sure how um, uh, useful that will be now. Um, so you've also got an article that went up last year, uh, toward the end of last year, by Martin Warren called Souls Don't Die, The History and Legacy of the Iron Giant's Platinum Year. Uh, it's a really nicely uh, put together piece on uh, just the lasting impact that the film has had. Uh, we've also interviewed a bunch of people who've been involved in the film. Um, Richard Baisley, uh, Alex Williams, and Ken Duncan, I think, all worked on the film. Uh, I think all of the interviews are about, or the, the sort of hook of a lot of them is, you know, this guy worked on the Iron Giant, and here's what they're doing now. And uh, the thing that they're doing now is not nearly as lasting or impactful as the Iron Giant was. but uh, It was a special film. Yeah. It was. It really was. And no wonder people keep going back to it. You know, certain films, they people celebrate an anniversary or they always go back to it. And the response that we've had for this film on Twitter and, and, and Facebook and everything else, it, it just goes to show, doesn't it, that this kind of... This is one of those films that that that'll last uh, last a lifetime at least. Yeah. To that end, I apologise to the uh, people who are very passionate fans of this film who may have not found my contrivance of uh, not understanding the not that hard to grasp message of the film um, <laughs> frustrating. Stop getting the Iron Giant wrong. They'll have they'll have turned off by now, Ben. <laughs> Your apology is useless. You big mentalist. <laughs> Uh, suggestion for CGI film see anyone I can think of that involves not both being Pixar films Ants versus A Bug's Life oh my god (laughs) does anyone want to watch either of those films The Book of Life's on here that's a pretty good one The Book of Life Uh, yeah that one was CG it's you know it was unique enough Um, what would we put it up Corpse Bride we could put it up against that no no save that for Halloween well, we're not going to... Are we going to be we in asked. lockdown by Halloween? Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, there are better Halloween films than either of those. Um, uh, well, the clock's ticking, the credits are rolling. Uh, yeah. This is the... It's the agony of choice. We look. It's like looking at a big menu and the, you want all of it. You know, we're looking at this big, long list here. Uh, should, we, should we pick... Uh, a stop-motion film to go up against The Book of Life, because The Book of Life is a pretty kind of, you know, well-rendered kind of yeah. deal. Should we stick it up against a Leica film? Should we stick it up against a, 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 an Aardman film? What, what, what's, what do you reckon, guys? Are we not okay with putting up against Corpse Ride? All right, if you want to put up against Corpse Ride, then go right ahead, yeah. Just thinking of them both having Afterlife. dead people in? Oh, absolutely, you've got it. You've hit the nail on the head. I'll shut up. <laughs> that's, that's gold that's gold Laura let's do that I love it just, it. it just clicked I guess ah I see yeah, it, I was it like, clicked it, it <laughs> I was like why did you shit can my idea so quickly and then like no I get it now yeah <laughs> and drill and Aaron who didn't understand the giant connection oh. with these two films until yesterday the G <laughs> <laughs> okay oh I get it they're both giants Jesus Christ dude <laughs> oh Aaron <laughs> God love him we need to get him on this at one point. I, I do think pretty meta. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, so Corpse Bride versus Book of Life. 
Cool, yes. done. Okay. Absolutely. We've nailed it once again. I right, know which everyone. one my vote's going for. I, uh, I don't know which one. Hang on. I've th- actually seen the Corpse Bride once, or maybe twice, but... Uh, we know too many people that worked on Corpse Bride for it not to be Corpse Bride. Well, let's invite him on. Yeah, let's just have a big crew <laughs> get <Yeah>. together. <laughs> maybe we can invite a special guest. Yeah. Put the feelers out. If so, it wins. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll need to close the voting slightly earlier then. Maybe the... the uh, final tally would have to be the day before to secure, I guess. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Mm. So, the, uh, so we've got the Book of Life versus Corpse Bride, so vote on Twitter, vote on Facebook, vote on the site, follow squiggly.com, do all the f- stuff, share this podcast and vote like crazy. There you go. And the thing's ended. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.